Welcome, welcome, welcome to Young Black and Opinionated. I'm your host, Christina Royster. Make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening today, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at The YBO Podcast. Also, you can send me your comments, questions, concerns, anything at all via email to helloybo at gmail.com. And I never shout the email out enough, and I want you guys to know that it's there, and you can talk to me. (laughs) So, um, today's episode, pop culture news roundup, mixed with a little personal news, so it's just going to be fun, it's going to be a good time. Sit back and enjoy. Alright, let's kick things off with Put Y'all On. I haven't done Put Y'all On in a while. Mm. Put Y'all On is the segment of the show where I put my listeners on to my favorite things. I put my listeners on to my favorite person, place, or thing that week. And so I'm putting y'all on to, what am I putting y'all on to? I really just wanted to tell my testimony. I really just wanted to put y'all on to God's favor. And this ain't a Christian podcast, but y'all know I'm a Christian girl and I love God. And I'm so glad that God did me a favor on my job. And listen, I debated if I should even tell this story on the podcast because um, a woman did lose her job. Uh, A woman that I worked closely with, a woman who probably still follows me on social media. I don't know if she listens to this podcast, so I'm not even going to use her name. But I'm just going to let y'all know that, you know, I think I have talked about maybe some frustrations in my career on this podcast. Um, And I think I didn't go into detail because of that reason, because I was scared, like, oh, somebody going to be listening. I don't know. Well, now I don't care because that person got fired. And this person that was giving me a problem on my job was my manager. The person who was supposed to, I really think a manager should be a mentor. Like you should not have power over people and a higher title and a higher salary if you aren't a people person and you don't know how to manage people. If you don't know how to manage people, why are you a manager? And so (laughs) I really just had frustrations on my job the past like eight, nine months with this manager because Um, you know, I felt like my creativity was stifled. I felt like this, this manager didn't necessarily want me to grow. They wanted me to just stick to the status quo and just keep doing what I was doing. And that's not what I'm about. (laughs) At the end of the day, I'm about growth. I'm about spreading my wings because I do believe that I'm in a cocoon right now, y'all. I really feel like I'm in a cocoon right now and I'm ready to blossom. I'm ready to burst. I really... Uh, Y'all know I I be posting Darius Daniels on the YBO podcast Instagram sometimes (laughs) because I really do feel like I have a word. I feel like I really just have so much talent and gifts and I felt like my creativity was stifled. Imagine trying to put a, a round peg in a square hole, whatever, however they say it. Like it just wasn't working for me, that relationship. It wasn't even a relationship. It was just, I don't know. It was... It was just a toxic situation. So anyways, I mean, she wasn't a toxic person, but the dynamic was not working for me. And so one day I just logged into work. I I work remotely and they just sent us an email and said she was gone. She was let go and they were reorganizing the company. And I am sorry to celebrate a woman losing her job, but I know financially she'll be okay. I think, I hope. Um, I know a little bit about her personal life and I think she'll be okay. And she was taking in good stride, you know? Um, but (laughs) I really did let out a little praise break. 
a little a, a little a little shout to the Lord, a thank you, because that right there was a roadblock to me. I'm sorry, but that woman was a roadblock. She was in my way, honestly, truly. And so I was tired of going around her and God, God will make an enemy out of your footstool. I'm no, <laughs> I got that wrong. God will make a footstool out of your enemy. I need to uh, go back to the Bible, <laughs> but that's what my mother told me when I told her that what happened at work, she was like, you know, if, if this person was causing you trouble, God will take care of it. And he did just that. So I just wanted to let y'all know about his favor. And again, I'm not trying to celebrate a woman losing her job. That's awful. In this economy, sheesh. But it's just, let's be honest, the person you really didn't see eye to eye with is now gone from the job. How does it make you feel? Um. So, yeah. And the thing that I wanted to also say about it was, I did not have the emotional reaction that I think other people wanted me to have. And who are you to judge how somebody reacts to a certain way, to reacts to a certain situation? You know, first of all, I was shocked. I was shocked. Don't get it twisted. That was a surprise. I was flustered for the rest of the day because my manager was just fired on the spot. So like, how are you supposed to get any work done? Number one, think about the, the PTSD and the trauma from that because y'all know that my other manager, whatever. The point is, I wanted to share that it was good news for me and maybe good news for me isn't not good news for everybody else, but that was a favor from God because I, I, when I tell you, I prayed out of my mouth, God helped this situation and he took care of it, bruh. If you don't believe in God, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to convince you to, but that's pretty compelling. Okay. <laughs> All right. But enough of put y'all on, let's move on to the pop culture news. Um, where should I begin? I have, Hmm, let's start with this one. This is, this is, this will put some more pep in your step and this will just really, uh, give you a sugar overload because I'm going to get into more serious topic towards the end of this. So <laughs> this will at least give you guys some positive news. 29 year old Aaron Jackson from Florida has become the first black woman to win Team USA's first gold in the 500-meter speed skating at the Winter Olympics in Beijing. This is the year 2022. This black woman has made history during Black History Month. Um, the Team USA has never won gold in speed skating, apparently. Uh, and, and so now, who, who wins the gold for them? A black woman. So congratulations, Erin Jackson. So young, from Florida, awesome. Oh, and I have to add that she finished her lap in 27 seconds, um, 500 meters, wow. I'm just so impressed, I'm just so in awe because I was actually thinking about the Winter Olympics recently and I wanted to say something about it on the podcast and I was just thinking like, there's no real, there's really nobody that I was rooting for this year because normally, you know, we're like, Hey, who's the black person are we rooting for this year? You know, <laughs> like uh, it, last year was Simone or it's Naomi or it's whoever, who are we rooting for this year? And so winter Olympics, I realized black people don't pay attention to that. <laughs> black people aren't snowboarding. Black people aren't skiing. But then I thought that's not true. There's gotta be people out there who, who love to snowboard, who love to ski. And there's probably black communities of, of, of snowboarders that I don't know about. But I mean, it is cold. Winter sports are cold. Black people don't really like the cold. Half of us are damn near anemic. 
But <laughs> I think that I, I just, I was looking for some more black people in the winter sports. And so I'm really happy to see this from Aaron Jackson. Um, speaking of sports, women, women are winning this week. Wait a second. Women are winning this week because the women's soccer team. Now let me get this right. Y'all. I want to make sure that I, um, get the news right. This is straight from ESPN hot off the presses, uh, by Jeff Carlisle. The U.S. soccer correspondent. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Hot off the presses. He just passed me this uh, across the news desk. Just kidding. Um, Jeff says that the U.S. WNT and the U.S. Soccer Federation settled their equal pay lawsuit for $24 million. So I'm going to just read you a little bit of what Jeff wrote. Players from the United States women's national team have settled their class action equal pay lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation. That's the USSF for a total of 24 million. And this came out just yesterday. So this is this is breaking news, y'all. Well, it's not breaking news, but, you know, <laughs> this is this is what's happening right now. Stuff you probably missed this week. In settling the suit, the players will receive a lump sum payment of $22 million. This amount will be distributed in a manner proposed by the USWNT players and approved by the district court. The U.S. soccer will also pay an additional $2 million into an account to benefit the players and their post-career goals and charitable efforts. They always want to throw in, sorry that we did you so wrong for all this time, so here's some extra money money but you have to donate it so we can write it off in our taxes. But <laughs> let me just celebrate the positive. At the end of the day, they said that, um, you know, this this really is a win for women and for equal pay. But someone said there's no real justice in this other than the this never happening again. Sorry, let me try that again. There's no real justice in this other than this never happening again. Okay, it was a difficult quote. She said this twice. Okay. <laughs> um, but this is from the U.S. international midfielder. And, um, you know, that is true. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of like what we get with, with the black reparations. Like, oh, you know, uh, here's a little black halftime show. And uh, we're still going to treat you, you like this, you know? So it's like, now that we have this big lump settlement, how about we never do this again, okay? And and speaking of that, right now, I think the Ahmaud Aubrey case, they have already been sentenced, right? So the, the father and son who um, murdered Ahmaud Aubrey, they, I almost said killed, but I wanted to use the word murdered. And that's why I choked on the K. I was like, murdered? Yeah, it was murdered. We can say murdered on the podcast. He was murdered. Um... The father and son who murdered Ahmad Aubrey, they have gotten life in prison, I believe, without the, the possibility of parole. And so the neighbor who, like, recorded the whole incident, he got life in prison with the possibility of parole. And so now the trial, they've already been sentenced, but now the second trial is to find out if it's a hate crime. I mean... I understand like you have to do by the book and you have to do formalities and like we have to separate these trials, but I wish that we could have just lumped this all together 
and we already know that it's a hate crime. Why else would you just shoot a black man in the street? You wouldn't shoot a white man in the street like that and film it. So I believe that they, they, they're kind of dragging this out. It kind of hurts um, to watch. I'm sure his mother just wants it to be done. But um, I do hope they tack that on. I mean, at the end of the day, if you already got life without parole, like where can you go? What can you do? Like it, adding on any extra years at that point is just overkill. And I mean, that really brings into question like, should these people get the chair? Should these people be killed and, and, and not waste all those years in prison, but just kill them. But I don't want to talk about the death sentence right now. I just want to, I'm sorry, but I just got a little in my feelings because the Ahmaud Aubrey case really bothers me so much. And I'm getting emotional because that case bothered me so much. Like, because Ahmaud is literally my age. Ahmaud was jogging in his neighborhood and I jog in my neighborhood. I walk in my neighborhood. And it's just sad because, I mean, we expect it from the police. And it's just his own neighbors, like his own neighborhood. So that case really upsets me. And I just don't, I just don't want to see it no more. I don't want to see another black person dead or another black person missing. I just don't want to see it no more. And it's still happening in Black History Month. Black... Uh, HBCUs are getting bomb threats during Black History Month. It just upsets me. And so that's what this podcast is. I just started crying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's what this podcast is though. We talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. I, I, I start with a high note and talk about how we're making history in the Olympics. But now this this 27-year-old boy is not here because in this country, his two white neighbors just killed him. Thank God they at least got sentenced. The only reason that they did get charged and, and, and convicted of these crimes is because of the fact, I believe, is because of the fact that they're just average citizens. Because if they were cops, I don't think they would have, no, they wouldn't have, they would have walked. So I, I really didn't have Ahmaud Aubrey on uh, this agenda, but I'm glad he came up. I, we have to continue to talk about this because I feel like, oh, we have the protest, we have the march. Oh, now we have a mural, now we have a statue, now we have a holiday, and now it's a hashtag, and uh, that's it. Like, no, what happens to accountability? What happens to to, to the, the people who committed this crime? That woman, remember? Now I'm just going off on a tangent, but whatever, y'all gonna have to just listen to it because remember that story about the boy who... I hope I don't have the story wrong. I might have the story wrong. But it was a white woman who killed a black male. And I recently saw the story come up again on my timeline and and, and she was in an orange jumpsuit. And I didn't even read the headline. I think she walked in this particular crime. But I just looked at her smiling. She was smiling in the mugshot. This white woman was smiling in the mud shot. You killed a black boy, a, a child, a 20 something year old. And so, yeah, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of that story, but that's what I saw on my, my timeline this week. And I just, it, it's, it's just hard sometimes. Sometimes you just look up and you see another headline, especially with what's going on in Ukraine. People talk about World War Three. We were having the same conversation two years ago about World War Three, 
and, and it's starting to look more real. The headlines are just crazy. So let me just bring it back. I started all of this with what? The women's soccer equal pay settlement. <laughs> That's what was in my notes. So she had a point though. She had a point. Um, Megan Ramapo, rap, rap, Rapino. Oh my God, I said her last name. I butchered her last name. Sorry, Megan. She had a point though. Like, okay, thank you for the settlement, but don't ever let this happen again, period. Next, moving on, actually some more sports. Ooh, look at me, sporty this week. I really am never into sports like this, but it's heating up, y'all, because, you know, we had the Super Bowl. Shout out to the Vikings. Um, And now football's over. And what are people focusing on? The NBA. Things are hitting up and all heating up. And also uh, college basketball. I used to love me some March Madness, man. I really used to be into it. But I just wanted to highlight how the NBA, they actually just celebrated their 75th year. The NBA just celebrated its 75th anniversary and they named their 75th anniversary team. All of the greats that you would expect to be on here, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Ray Allen, Allen Iverson, LeBron James, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. I saw that video of Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan like next to each other and they almost looked alike. That's crazy. MJ and MJ. I think I think Magic Johnson tweeted. He was like, MJ and MJ. Um, Isaiah Thomas, Russell Westbrook, Steve Nash. You can check out the full list at NBA.com slash 75. Um, this blurb says that the anniversary team was selected for being pioneers that have helped shape, define, and redefine the game. So, yeah, when you when you talk about who are the greats, it's interesting that Steph Curry, like these young athletes are on this list with the greats because we have our greats now. And Steph Curry just, didn't he just set another record for 16 three-pointers in a game or something? Oh my gosh. It's just crazy because I, I often think about, especially Black History Month, I'm thinking about, you know, the legacy that we leave here. And it's just crazy that people are still setting records and still breaking barriers in 2022. We just talked about the U.S. has never even won a gold medal in speed skating. And who had to bring it home? A black woman, period. Um. So yeah, that's NBA 75. All right, moving on to what I've been watching. One of my favorite parts of the episode, I get to tell you guys what I have been binge watching, wasting my time on. Honestly, nothing super new. Like on a regular, I've just been watching um, Ink Master, still going strong with that. I'm on like season 11 now. <laughs> and um, I've been watching some, some crime shows on Netflix, like Safe, uh, so those are cool. But otherwise, nothing like super new. I haven't watched Inventing Anna yet. I really want to watch that. Um, but I really got to take TV one thing at a time. And so right now I'm about to add another show to my roster, y'all. Snowfall is back. Snowfall is back. Snowfall is back. I'm excited. I'm excited. I love this show. Uh, me and my boyfriend love watching it together. Um, I, just, I, I just can't believe how ruthless it is. It's just so raw and I love that and um the the cast is awesome uh I wanted to share this quote from the trailer uh Damson Idris uh who plays Franklin he said in the trailer as Franklin obviously as Franklin <laughs> Franklin said in the trailer 
There's nothing I'm not prepared to do. And I believe it. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen this season. I feel like one of the main characters has to die at this point. If you think about it, none of the main characters have really died. And obviously, as a fan, I love that. I want all of them to stay. But I feel like shit is really about to get real. There's so many hot buttons that Franklin has lit up right now. He's a mess. Like, he keeps digging himself deeper and deeper. And now he has a baby on the way, apparently, from the trailer. Come on, bruh. You cannot bring a child into this world. Like, not this. When you're trying to go toe-to-toe with the LAPD. Please, you're not a black man in the 80s trying to go toe-to-toe with the LAPD, please. Or, wait, it's season five. Are we are we in the 80s or the 90s at this point? I think it's the 90s by now. Oh, my gosh, this is about to be epic. I love this show. And a lot of people tell me they couldn't get into it. I, I guess I could understand. It is, like, the first episode is kind of slow, but you need to get past that because I feel like it took off by season two for me. So make sure you check out Snowfall. I'm like a next day type of person because I don't have cable. So it comes on FX on Wednesday nights and it will be available next day on Hulu. And that's where I'll be watching it. Um, So I'll probably give updates as the season goes on. Just like I wish I could sit here and talk about euphoria and everything going on with that. But um, I just love TV, man. (laughs) And so that leads me to what I've been watching on Netflix. And it would have to be Genius, a Kanye trilogy. I definitely didn't think that I was going to watch this because I've been on my F Kanye spiel, you know? Like, I just... Everything that he's doing with Kim Kardashian and social media, it's just toxic. It's just honestly... I want to dive deeper into that at, at one point. Well, that's what I'm using this platform right now to do. I wanted to talk about the documentary, but also what's going on with Kanye and how I don't talk about it on the podcast on purpose because I don't really want to glorify Kanye like, I don't know, dragging his wife and kids on social media and and her relationships. It's just a mess. But watching this documentary, that's that's why I did come around to watching the documentary. Cause I was like, and by the way, it's three parts. Um, it's been, it's been coming out episode, episodically. Is that the right word? <laughs> One episode per week. So, um, the first episode, well, let me just read you the synopsis from Netflix. The lives of an emerging superstar and a filmmaker intertwine in this intense, intimate docuseries charting Kanye West's career filmed over two decades Yes, you you heard me. Cootie was, you know, a, an emerging comedian and film filmmaker in in Chicago, and he really didn't even know Kanye that well. But he really felt his vibe, y'all. He really went off the strength of a vibe, and he felt like Kanye was going to be a superstar. He felt like Kanye was a genius, and he dedicated his life literally to just filming Kanye for the next two decades. And I'm sure Kanye took care of him and he got paid and he had some place to rest his head. But I'm like, you you follow Kanye West around with a camera for two decades and this is what you have to show for it. A three-part Netflix documentary. It better be damn good. 20 years of footage. And so it is. <laughs> it's great to see the whole thing about old Kanye. Cootie even said like, you guys 
always say like, oh, I miss the old Kanye, but like he's still the same Kanye to me. And you're going to see. And um, I realized like, wow, he is still the same Kanye. And not in a good way. Like there's good things about it and there's bad things about it. And, and it's just, you know, I love a documentary because you get back to the roots. How did this person become the way they are? It's so interesting that he's doing his little, and maybe it's all connected and maybe it's all just a press scheme and maybe it's all already been pre-planned. But the fact that he's going on his little tangents on Instagram and social media, meanwhile, you have this documentary coming out. It's all just, and the album coming out too. So yeah. Um, and, and so watching this documentary made me realize this is why Kanye the way, is the way he is. And, and, and the moments with Donda, man, in the documentary, I've only seen episode one so far, by the way. And when Donda was in the documentary, she just seemed like Kanye's voice of reason. And when she passed, that was gone. And he, I feel like, never was the same. And so now seeing what I see, like with my own eyes firsthand, we can see Donda telling Kanye like, you can have your head in the clouds and your feet on the ground all at the same time. <laughs> she literally had to tell him that because he was, she told him like, you're humble and cocky at the same time. <laughs> and he still is to this day. So make sure you guys check out Genius, a Kanye trilogy. But it's interesting how it's all intertwined. Even going back to the, the Fat Tuesdays Black Mecca episode, that I shared with you guys all this time period, the eighties, nineties, there was so much crossover. And while, uh, guy Tory was, was launching fat Tuesdays in LA on, on the West coast, on the East coast, we had the, the, the Jeff Def jam comedy. We had video music box. That's what I wanted to share with you guys today. Video music box and how, this Kanye documentary used clips from Video Music Box, and now I just watched a documentary yesterday about Video Music Box. And so what I wanted to share was this documentary I watched on Showtime called You're Watching Video Music Box. And this is all about how Ralph McDaniels really started this from nothing. This was on the East Coast in the 80s, right at the beginning of hip hop, like the eighties. I'm going to just share with you guys some notes I wrote down and I hope this doesn't go too long, but this is kind of a mini black history lesson. This could have been its own episode, but I wanted to link it together with the genius stuff. Cause it's crazy to me how you're kind of like seeing the same footage in some documentaries now. Like this was all happening at the same time. By the way, this Showtime documentary is executive produced by Nas. This is like his, his, uh, debut. So again, the title of the documentary is You're Watching Video Music Box. So I'm going to take you guys back to the 80s, okay? New York, 1980s, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens. It was, uh, you know, not an awesome time. <laughs> um, I mean, like, pop culture-wise, it was. But, you know, in, in, in the community... There was crack, there was violence, and so people were using hip-hop to express that. And so television in the 1980s, they said on the documentary that there was no cable, only local channels. You had like channel 5, channel 4, 3, 2, 1, and like that static channel. 
and, and there were lots of empty channels. And so a black guy, Ralph McDaniels, after he had a couple internships in, in television and film, and actually he said what inspired him was um, his, his, he, he went to a block party and that was the first time he saw somebody DJing with turntables. Imagine the birth of hip hop. Like this was, this has never been done with music before. It is blowing people's minds, young people's minds. And so he said in that moment, I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. And so he, he went into the whole VJ thing and he went into television and, and he said that, um, nobody was doing anything with these empty channels, these local channels. So he finally claimed channel 31 and he played hip hop videos. That's what he wanted to do. He, he, Ralph McDaniel said that he actually really didn't want to be on camera for real. He just wanted to play music videos. <laughs> and so I'm going to tell you all about video music box and how it came to be. So this is like the 1980s and 1990s. I can't really peg down a year for you. I might have something in my notes later down the line. But the host slash VJ was Ralph McDaniels. And he still hosts Video Music Box today. It is the longest running video, uh, you know, hip hop television show. Uh, and, and now I think it's got, you know, podcast features and radio features. So Ralph McDaniels is from Brooklyn. And he said the 60s and the 70s when he grew up there were rough. You know, there was heroin, actually. It wasn't even crack yet. It was heroin that was on the streets. And so his cousin was actually, actually Joffrey Holder. Look him up. The actor who's... Wait a second, y'all. I got to give you his credentials because I don't want to do him like that. I don't want to do Jeffrey Holder like that. I got to give him his props. As seen in Annie. As seen in Live and Let Die. As seen in Boomerang, you know, uh, Joffrey Holder, look him up. And so his cousin was Joffrey Holder and he was visiting from the Caribbean. And so he came to live with them in Brooklyn. And he said like, he really inspired him with television and all that stuff. And so his family ended up moving, uh, Ralph McDaniels, they ended up moving to Queens when he was 11. They thought it would be safer. They thought it would, you know, uh, be, you know, further removed from the inner city, but they still fa faced racism there in Queens. And I'm glad that they shared a clip of, uh, a clip that I saw on social media before of in, in Queens, a little girl was on her bike. It was a, another documentary film back then in the 70s. And they, they showed a clip of a, a black girl getting called the N-word by her white neighbors, her white Italian neighbors in Queens. So um, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And so he said that his only inspirations at that time were really soul and soul train there weren't a lot of black people on TV often. The only time they said that they really got to see black people on TV was guest appearances on like, you know, American Bandstand of black people like The Temptations, Motown, you know, Jackson 5 type stuff. And so he finally claimed, you know, I told you a story about how he claimed Channel 31. And so the name Video Music Box came to be because he said he thought of a boom box and he thought of music videos. And they were like, oh, are you sure you don't want it to be music video box and he was like no video music box <laughs> he was dead set on that so he wanted video music box to be like a video playlist or a video radio show and nobody was interested nobody really uh uh um wanted to pick it up and so um oh i'm getting ahead of myself sorry i was, I was reading too far ahead of my notes <laughs> what i wanted to say was he wasn't really interested in being on camera 
but he was a natural. And so he was, you know, everybody really considered him like uncle Ralph. He, it was like a title of endearment. Like when he went around with his camera and, and he, he played people's music videos and it, it really became like a cultural phenomenon at that time. The same way that fat Tuesdays was doing for comedy. That's what video music box was doing for New York hip hop at that time. Cause nobody would play them on TV. No channels were playing black music, let alone hip hop, a new type of music, let alone the music videos. And so, um, Nas actually said in the documentary, it's a miracle. Someone knew that they should be taping that all that hip hop going on right in that, in the birthplace of hip hop, somebody was taping it and it became video music box. And now they have archives and archives. They showed the video cabinet uh, archives. Um, and so, Essentially, Video Music Box, what it was, it was it was musical performances, it was parties, it was interviews, it was just seeing unapologetic blackness in hip-hop on TV for the first time. Imagine that. And so black youth will really stop everything that they were doing. It, it was just like any other after-school thing. They would stop what they were doing, and, and, and they would just run to the TV just to even ca- catch five seconds of representation. Like, that. that's how starving they were to see their own culture represented. And so, oh yeah, somebody, this is, this is what I was getting ahead. Um, somebody said, everybody thought hip hop was going to be a fad, but Ralph McDaniels carried it on. He made sure that hip hop exploded with video music box reaching far and wide. And so as a rapper, you had to get your videos on his show. If you didn't get on there, you didn't matter. That's what DJ Chuck chill out said. He said, if you didn't get your videos on there, you didn't matter. Video Music Box was TRL and 106 in Park before those were even dreamt of. And so um, he said, somebody said that the thing about Video Music Box, that it was, it always kept its credibility. I loved that. They said it was always authentic. It, it wasn't, it wasn't trying to be anything else. It said, they said, whatever was happening in the neighborhood was going to happen on Video Music Box. They had segments about teen pregnancy. They had segments about the crack ep- epidemic. They had all types of different segments on a video music TV show. And he said, you know, they never even even made any, any money from the TV because they had no commercials. They literally had just video music going all day long. And so he said they only made money from the parties and... At those parties, they didn't even have any casualties. Imagine a time when black people could party with no violence, no casualties. They had very good security and they were able to get big guests to come to Brooklyn for that reason. They had Lauren Hill performing at on a video music box party in Brooklyn. And so it was just an awesome time that we might not ever be able to reiterate. I really hope so, but they said that... Um, there was no excuse why hip hop couldn't reach the masses anymore with video music box. And they even got so big that they went on tour. It was called a fresh feet tour. Oh, I'm sorry. It was called fresh fest tour. I had a a typo (laughs) fresh fest, fresh feet. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Fresh, fresh fest tour. And they, you know, were getting press passes now as, as a, as a TV station. So they were getting to go to these shows and these big venues and it catapulted the show. That's so awesome to hear. And so, um, what happened was, oh yeah, video music box. They wanted to go to MTV. They said like, Hey, 
we have video, video music box. Like, would you guys like to collaborate? And they're like, no, we're not interested. One year later, they created Yo! MTV Raps in 1995. <laughs> but, but somebody said, Yo! MTV Raps was MTV showing us. Video music box was us showing us. And that's the damn difference, okay? White people trying to cook up, you know, black history stuff and, and pander to black people or black people coming from an authentic place. Ralph McDaniels, all he wanted to do was just show people hip-hop. He had a love for hip-hop. He had a love for music. He said he grew up on, like, Parliament and, like, all those jams. Like, he really, it was all about the music for him. He, he used to play, uh, you know, very low-budget music videos <laughs> for underground artists. In fact, he said that, uh, okay, so here, here it is right here in my notes. New artists got a light shined on them before YouTube even existed with Video Music Box. Ralph was not playing the same videos as MTV. He did that on purpose. He said MTV was not showing hardcore, underground. That's what he wanted to show. He really went after that type of music specifically. He was playing Jamaican international artists that nobody even heard of before. And so at this time, Ralph said crack started to come in. And um, he had complete editorial control of the channel because he, he bought the channel and claimed the channel and nobody was telling him what to do. So he said he really, really wanted Video Music Box to be knowledge and music videos. He really wanted it to be edutainment. And I couldn't have picked a better word. Like, that is really what it was. And he went on to even direct and produce music videos from this experience with Video Music Box and, and played the videos on Video Music Box. And he got to host fashion shows and he put FUBU on. He like literally put FUBU on. He just had an interview with, um, I'm blanking on his name, Damon, whatever his name is. And, and he had an interview with him on Video Music Box and he was like, hey, check out this black owned fashion company. And he really put him on the map. And so in 1998, after 16 years, after putting on Kanye West, after putting on, Jay-Z and all these artists in 1998, it's a public channel. You know, it's, it's a public news channel. It's, it's owned by the mayor's office. They decided to shut it down after 16 years. And so the show ended on that channel, but they found a new home on channel 25 and they picked it right back up. So as I said, video, video music box is still in business today. And, you know, it's just funny how um, he said, he tried to work at a radio station before and he hated it. He loved video music box. He wanted to get back on camera. And the funny thing was the internet started to change music for better or for worse. I mean, at the end of the day, video music box is living on right now with the internet's help. They have a great follow on Instagram. So make sure you check out video music box. Listen, y'all heard the beginning of the testimony of the put y'all on video music box. What's up? Are y'all hiring? Like, do you need some help? Because that just sounds like a good time to me. Hip-hop, video, storytelling, intertwining. I love it all. And that's kind of what YBO is in a way. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Wow, this was a long episode, but a good one. I mean, it wasn't even that long. And, and again, please feel free to reach out to me via email, helloybo at gmail.com if you want to let me know. Girl, I love long episodes or I prefer shorter episodes or whatever. I want to hear your feedback. You can also DM me on Facebook and Instagram at the YBO Podcast. Hope you guys are enjoying the Black History Month merch. Maybe I should do something for the women next month for Women's History. Is that
<laughs> and I would like to stop tripping over my work.